We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for FlexBox, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B-E to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights, strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com slash B. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. We invite you to join us as we discuss how to shift the classroom, the learning environment, the mindset, and the pedagogy to try something new, reignite wonder, and reimagine education. If you are in the Bay Area, we are currently accepting applications for students for the fall of 2023. Yes, we have limited spots available, and also for our elementary and middle school starting at TK through 7th grade for fall of 2024. Up Academy has created our framework so that new and existing schools can develop imaginative, exciting, relevant, engaging learning environments for all of their students. We're excited to introduce the Rebel Project Literacy Curriculum. It's a fully integrated literacy and project-based learning curriculum that supports social-emotional development and is based on skills and competencies. Learn more at projectup.us. Have you ever thought of opening your own school? Project Up is also supporting new educators and families to create schools like Up Academy and schools of your own design. Reach out to join our affiliate network at projectup.us. Now, let's get to today's episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. Welcome, Rebel Educators. I'm here today with Hope Patterson. Hope is a global nomad, mother of two, and transformation coach. For the past 20 years, she has been working in what she calls the Hope Triangle, electrifying pathways for humans of all ages working at the intersection of education, innovation, and entrepreneurship. Hope walks alongside people as they move from old to new, supporting them to identify opportunities and support new ways of moving through their lives, careers, lifestyle changes, and family. Her innate skill of understanding and articulating the uniqueness and brilliance of people allows them to explore and achieve what they envision. She runs the Hope Brain Trust, a global think tank with live events and collaborations. She is building a vibrant online network for people of all ages moving through change called Hope Sparks Network. 
She runs coaching programs for individuals and teams moving from feeling stuck to a world of impact and growth. She is in your corner to empower you to move to new heights. And for all of you listening, I actually just became a member of the Hope Sparks Network and actually just did a podcast yesterday with another member of the Hope Sparks Network. And so it's definitely a network that is building and growing and is exciting. So welcome, Hope. I'm excited to have a conversation. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I'm so curious. Who did you do an interview? Can you share? I can. It was the Changemakers in Education podcast. That's so cool. The tentacles are going throughout the world. Yep. It was one of those that he had reached out and we had connected. And then he's like, oh, I just joined Hope's Brain Trust and the Hope Sparks Network. And I saw that you're there. I'm like, I am. I just found her. Great. (laughs) Yes. I did to dive in with you today. Me too. So let's kind of start there. You talk about empowering people and creating change and seeing things in people that they may not see as well in themselves or bringing out those qualities that can support their change and their transformation. So how are you helping people to make change happen in their lives? That's a great question. And I've been thinking about that in the past few years. And I would start with, first, I embody the change myself. I feel like everybody needs examples and proof of what's possible in their lives. And sure, it's great to give people resources and tactics and coach them on how they can move through change or make it happen for them themselves or their family or their work. I think you also have to practice what you preach. So I have undergone so many changes and transformations in my own life, and I live by my own values and do whatever I can to share real examples of what this looks like, what this feels like. I try and weave in storytelling, not just for my own life, but bringing people in my global network up to the fore for people to see real people making this change happen. And it's super powerful, Tanya, when people see that what was happening in their mind as a possibility or a belief that they were like, I don't know, that seems crazy, or it seems messy, or it seems like it's not going to happen. When I'm able to put in their path an example of somebody who's doing it, whether it's families who are taking their kids out of conventional schools and navigating alternative pathways, or it's somebody who's pivoting their career, or it's somebody who's shifting their lifestyle, I would say that that is one of the most incredible ways for helping make change happen for other people. Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with ed tech? Tools that assume every student learns the same way at the same pace. I need my technology to do more for me. That's why it's so important for me to know that IXL provides true personalized learning across the entire pre-K to 12 curriculum and that it's proven benefit to all student populations, including English learners and students in special education programs. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results, combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com slash B for a demo. That's I-X-L dot com slash B-E. 
Yeah, it's so powerful when you can see someone who has walked that path before or who has taken a leap or who has created something in their world. I really love it. And I think for young people, it's essential. I'm sure you get that as an educator for young learners to see different professions, different ways of living. Young people tend to kind of use their frame of reference as their family or their community, but it's great for them to see what else is out there in the world. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to this place in your life and how you came to this work? I'm really curious about the Hope Triangle and that intersection of education, innovation, and entrepreneurship. It's a juxtaposition that I don't find often. And so I'm curious how those three things have come together in your life. Yeah. You know, I'm in my midlife and I think it's easier to look back on the patterns and the trajectory of my life with more clarity now. I see this hope triangle that I call it of education, entrepreneurship, and innovation as a very clear red line through my life. I started very young. I think I was like six years old and I decided that I really wanted to learn differently from kids around me. I left my little day school in London, England, where I was living. I convinced my parents that I really wanted to go to school in the countryside at a boarding school. And it was a bit of a push and a bit of a struggle, but I put all of my efforts in convincing and throwing my weight of persuasion into it because I felt like it would open up a world of new things, which for me is innovation, new ways of looking at the world. So that really started me on a path of kind of breaking free of a pattern that I see around me. And throughout my life, I kept doing that through high school and university, bouncing around and living around the world and working around the world. Entrepreneurship was again an embodiment of me learning by doing. And I got to land in a lot of innovative spaces where people were solving and tackling problems by coming together and collaborating. And there was a, a whole lot of learning, as you can imagine, in all of those situations. So whether it's education or the overarching learning experience, I started to see how innovation, learning, or education, and entrepreneurship was so interwoven. I would probably say that in my late 30s and 40s, I started to consult and coach with more and more people who were running their own businesses or trying to pivot and change their lives. And they were coming to me through referrals saying, you seem to be doing all of what I want to do, or you seem to be moving through life in a unique way with a unique perspective. I'd really like to learn from you, work with you, collaborate with you. So that has really been the foundation of a lot of my work, networking, coaching, and entrepreneurship. It reminds me a lot of how I felt going into high school and I started to put all of my energy and efforts into being able to move to New York. I was a dancer and that's what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And the people around me were very resistant and didn't want to see that happen. And I think a lot of times what holds us back or the reason people around us resist is because of a fear, a fear of what could go wrong, a fear of the unknown, a fear of failure. And for me, I did move to New York and I hated it. It all fell apart. I was unhappy and miserable and it was awful. And so I ended up giving up on that and moving back and finishing school. How do you help people overcome that fear or see beyond what could happen even if everything does go wrong? Oh, failure and <laughs> are really good friends of mine. And I 
spend a lot of time talking to people about these two huge balls of energy. I think that, again, back to the hope triangle, there is a lot of fear, I would say, in education. There's a lot of fear in entrepreneurship, the ups and downs, you know. It's like a roller coaster. And there's some fear in innovation, doing things differently. So my approach is to get friendly, get curious, become aware of when the fear comes up and where it's coming from. Because often it's not necessarily coming from the circumstances or the factors before you, but it's actually your nervous system coming online, triggered to protect you, to keep you safe. And it's bringing this like body of information from your past experiences, from the past information you've gleaned and gathered in your life, coming up and going, well, since it didn't happen before, or you haven't seen it possible around you, then this must be really dangerous. So I wouldn't do it. And so part of my work is to help kind of do some nervous system regulation to get curious and peel back the layers of the fear of failure or what ifs and get clearer about what happens if that does happen. Let's go into that and build what I call failure tolerance. Because I feel like that is one of the most relevant and incredible tools for the world we're living in, especially for young people. Yeah, we hear a lot about risk tolerance, but I think that's the first time I've heard someone say failure tolerance. We are going to fail. 100% we're going to fail. So how are you going to fail? And how can we use that failure to give us information or data to inform how we need to pivot or shift our lives? It's really just information. And when we don't get so caught up in the reactionary, like, I'm a bad person, I am the failure, it's just simply like that tactic or that path didn't work. But I, as a person, I'm not a failure. Yeah. And that's a really interesting separation. And I think that's one that's difficult for a lot of people is being able to separate the actions that you're doing and the tactics and the things that you're trying from who you are as a human and who you are as a person. And when you try things or make a decision that doesn't work and it fails, like, okay, I tried something that didn't work. Now I know what doesn't work and I can try something else. But then being able to separate that out from oh my gosh, I failed. I made this whole thing happen. It's terrible. I'm a horrible person. And making that separation takes a lot of emotional intelligence. Yeah. And so starting young, you start to build what I call this muscle, obviously emotional intelligence muscle, but you see like really expert entrepreneurs making decisions quickly, failing forward, and educators who are also able to let their learners fail and learn like it's a lab, yield really incredible results. What kind of support do parents and adults need in their work so that they can support children and their students to make these decisions and to fail and to really embrace the messiness that can be learning when it's wholehearted, soul-in, project-based, failure is a real option type of learning? This topic comes up so much. I was in a networking call yesterday with a whole bunch of psychologists and educators from the West Coast and the US. And I think this was our main theme. And what we came up with was, and this definitely resonates with me, is the more support parents and adults have on working on themselves, emotionally regulating their own nervous systems. And that means like, as opposed to coping and numbing, they're finding ways to calm down and regulate and become self-aware 
the more they can emanate that out to the kids in their world. And I definitely refer out a lot of parents who see their children's anxiety as something that's on the children's plates that need to be fixed. And what I gently guide them back to is that if they as parents or the team of educators calm their own collective nervous system or come to the table with the kids in a really listening, aware, sort of understanding mode, then the kids calm right down. The kids are able to navigate a tremendous amount. They're built to be resilient. But when the adults around them are like swirling and busy and distracted and just kind of on hyper alert, it really doesn't help the kids. And I would also say that for adults, parents, and educators to really understand that their own conditioning and how they were educated or brought up, it's really part of the picture. So the more clear and aware they can become of, okay, maybe I'm holding on really tightly for my kid because that's what my parents did, or that's what I was conditioned school to look like. And so I keep trying to force my child to learn in that way and that they're not the same learner as me or the school and the world isn't the same. So it can be really empowering for adults, I think, to not focus on the kid as a project to fix as much. And I don't mean this in a mean way. We all step into that, right? But more look at like, how can I grow and learn and develop as a grown up so I have more to give to my kids? Yeah, it's one thing that we talk a lot about. And often when we see students that have challenges with anxiety, it is similar within the family unit that there are challenges with anxiety. And also working with our educators and, okay, if we want to bring the level of energy down in a classroom, we need to be calm. We need to whisper. Kind of the knee jerk is often, okay, everybody's running around and yelling. I need to yell so they can hear me. But then you're just raising that energy level. And if instead we're calm and silent, suddenly everybody calms that they can hear what's happening because it gives this idea that something important is about to happen because it's quiet and it's calm. We are all mirrors. We are all mirrors. Yeah. Back to your first question, how do I help people to change? I make sure I'm changing or I'm embodying it so they're getting it mirrored back. Or kids looking at their fellow students or their adults mirroring. It's actually kind of that simple. Yeah. And the the neurology of it, when you were talking about the neurosystems of being able to calm and self-regulate. And I talk to my own kids a lot when they're making decisions. I'm like, are you in your human brain right now? Or are you in your animal brain? Is this a reaction that's a freeze, flight, or fight because of something that has come to you? And that's something that our brain wants to do. Or are you making this decision consciously and taking a moment to breathe and going, okay, I'm nervous about this. I'm afraid of this because my brain is telling me that it's dangerous, but it's not actually a dangerous situation. I'm not actually putting my life at risk here. There's no lion in the bushes behind me that I need to make a decision about. And am I making that decision with my human brain? That's awesome. So you are teaching them about their nervous system. Something I never learned as a little kid at all. Lucky kids. Yeah, I didn't either. Which leads to an interesting question about intergenerational transfer and kind of what we've been talking about. But how can we look at intergenerational transfer and how does that support learning at its core? This is a topic or an area that has been fascinating me for years. I think it stemmed from my father, who is a historian, and he often likes to talk about how humans are hardwired to be tribal. And 
he would often talk about how in the olden days, <laughs> we had so much collective wisdom that was shared and passed through generations, through storytelling, through embodiment. And I realized that in our sort of busy, distracted, compartmentalized modern world, it's difficult to have these kind of connections, these intergenerational opportunities, which I try my very best to cultivate. And I would say this looks like getting older all the way to like, I would say probably in their 80s down to teenagers and everything in between, trying to sync them up in dynamic environments. So there's a transfer of wisdom, there's knowledge sharing, there's energetic support. Usually the older are calmer, they're less reactionary, and the younger are more energetic and they've got ideas coming fast and furious. And it's really cool. You obviously think that the older person is going to be the one to impart all the wisdom. What I love to see and what I'm trying to do in my brain trust events and collaborations is getting young people to teach older people, especially about tools and technology. Sometimes I have to be the translator in between and I have to say, well, what I think they just said is this and the, the older generation's like, I don't get it. Sometimes it takes some massaging, but once they click, it's so beautiful, Tanya. The mentorships that spring up and this like, you know, Young people think old people can be boring and annoying. And when you allow them to see that it's otherwise and that they have this like funnel of amazing information and love and support and being seen and heard by grownups that aren't necessarily your family, it's really transformative. So intergenerational learning transfer is nothing new. I'm just trying to stimulate it in my own settings as much as possible. It's making me think our students right now have just embarked on a project called Identity, who they are in the world and the problem they want to solve in the world. And they're learning about personality tests and different careers and having parents come in and talk to classes and learning kind of about their own, you know, on a very basic level, their own likes and their dislikes, depending on the class and the grade level. That's making me think of how we can weave in other people who may or may not be a part of our families who are of older generations that can help us to understand not only like who we are in this moment, but who we are as a civilization and who we are in this space of land and what was here before us and make broader connections. To your point, looking at more of a tribal culture and who are we in this place and time. That's a great idea. Count me in to help you do that. <laughs> We all remember that person when we met, when we were younger, that we met. It was like, wow, who's this person? They opened up the world to me. I hope that everyone has at least one teacher or one person who's not in your family that did that. It's really magical when that happens. So I'm happy to help. Amazing. Thinking back to those people that have been magical in their lives, I love to ask about a story that you remember from your elementary school years. Well, I shared that I marched myself to boarding school <laughs> in England, in the south of England. And I guess probably my favorite teacher I ever had was at that school. He was my English, my French, my Latin, and my drama teacher all in one. He really showed me how much agency I could have in my life. He gave me and so many other students opportunities to be in the driver's seat of our learning. And he pushed us and he pushed us in like, you can do this. And why don't you write the play? Or why don't you 
direct this little skit, or he was always coming up with ways to nudge us out of following and try to get us to be leaders, which felt uncomfortable at times because it wasn't easy. But I ended up, when I left that boarding school, I wrote to him for many years and we would be in touch and I would tell him what was going on. And again, back to that intergenerational transfer and the mentorship, having somebody that wasn't in my direct family that saw me and believed in me was so empowering. I won't forget it. I'm 45 now and I still remember him. So I hope that everybody has such a teacher or mentor. And it sounds like he was someone who was pushing you to break free of the patterns that were in your life and creating those opportunities to step in. Yeah. In my brain of like, I'm not good at languages. I'm scared to be a performer on the stage. I can't get dressed up in weird costumes. Like all of those things he would challenge and say, why not? Yeah. And that's great to hear for educators out there because we have so many students who think those same things in their mind. I'm not good at math. I'm not good at drama. I'm afraid to be on stage. I can't write and remembering to give those nudges. Yeah. Well, now, because I know the power it had on my life, I hunt for those educators and I try and spread the word. Soon as I find, I just found this amazing math educator who is making math interactive and fun and musical and play-based. And I'm like, how do we get you in front of more kids? That's, again, what the Brain Trust is doing is we are bringing in learners, other educators, administrators to witness these amazing people that I dig up and find and share with more people. That was going to be my next question is if you can share some examples of what was happening in the brain trust, because I know you have a lot of education innovators doing really interesting and unique things and coming together in different ways than they are in other areas and in other platforms. Yeah, I started, to be frank, I started the brain trust as an experiment. I thought, I'm sitting on kind of a gold mine of a network, global network. I'm not an educator, but I do love learning and I like to bring people together. And I thought, what would it be like if I brought people from all different areas of education, from ed tech and academia and research and psychology and learning, and I brought them all together for live events where they got to interact. It wasn't corporate. It wasn't formal. We have so much fun. And the once a month live learning events that took place have now grown into sometimes it's eight a month. And my role is really as a hopeful glue. And I don't belong to one particular group and I try to stay impartial. But one of my favorite things to see is people learning what they thought wasn't possible happening in new ways of math or AI, or sometimes we have young people leading these sessions for older educators. Like we had a 12-year-old teach a whole bunch of educators about AI tools, which was amazing. And as a result of people joining in these live learning events and communicating and sharing on our hub, which is a portal of sharing and uh, collaboration, new partnerships are happening podcasts are getting recorded, new newsletters are starting, new businesses have actually emerged and people are starting to work together. So for me, it's like the best kind of connection point because everybody benefits. Yeah. Congratulations on launching it and bringing it together. Thank you so much. How can people get in touch with you? How can they reach out? There's probably two main ways. One would be my website, which is 
Hope Patterson, H-O-P-E-P-A-T-E-R-S-O-N dot C-A. I'm living in Canada right now. My website is one and come check out Hope Sparks Network. And that is my free network for parents and educators to learn about new models and new ways to learn in this world. And you can also find information about the Brain Trust on both of those platforms. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Hope. My pleasure. It's been awesome. That's it for another episode of Rebel Educator. Thank you for joining us and thank you for spending your limited time with us learning how to be rebels in education. If you'd like to learn more or access our project library, you can go to rebeleducator.com. If you'd like to learn more about our progressive elementary and middle school in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out upacademy.com. Interested in learning more about our Rebel Literacy Project curriculum or launching your own school and joining our affiliate network? Visit projectup.us. And if you haven't read it yet, pick up your copy of my book, Rebel Educator, Create Classrooms Where Impact and Imagination Meet on Amazon or anywhere you read or listen to your books. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Look forward to talking to you soon. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators. There are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet Tier 1 standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.